Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep history alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, ICH researcher with Heritage NL. On today's episode of the podcast, we talk with Lucy Anglin and Katie Crane, who connected over research into Marguerite Lindsay. Marguerite is Lucy's great aunt, and her story caught Katie's eye when she was researching for another project. Today, we hear all about their connection and their research. Hi, Katie and Lucy, and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, So just to start off, can you kind of explain how you both met? I write, I've joined a group of genealogy writers, and we just write short 500-word stories on our families, our ancestors. And I was working my way through the family tree, and um, I wrote a story about my great-grandparents. And um, in that story, I listed their children. And um, their youngest child was Marguerite. And all we knew um, growing up um, was that she died tragically in Labrador at age 25. So um, I just put that in uh, her parents' little 500-word story for my genealogy writing. And um, lo and behold, I get a comment in the comment section. We, We publish these on a website called Genealogy Ensemble. So all nine of us, we've been together for oh, eight years now, and we write all these stories, and we take turns publishing um, once a week. So I guess my turn comes around every nine weeks. And um, so the story was published, and Katie, I guess, uh, doing her research and, and all the thing, clever things she does, um, saw the story and commented, where is Marguerite buried? I thought, well, that's a very strange comment. <laughs> so I said, I said, that's a very strange comment. Why do you want to know? And she said, oh, because I've been doing some research on her and Memorial University and I've done some research. And I wrote back instantly saying, you have research on Marguerite? And then uh, we were off and running. She said yes and sent me all kinds of very helpful uh, newspaper clippings. She went digging deep and thoroughly and sent me this whack of stuff, and I was just over the moon. I could finally learn um, about Marguerite instead of this half, half, you know, half story that we were told along the way, that she just died tragically in Labrador. And no one in the family ever, I don't know if they just didn't want to talk about it or never pursued it or never, maybe they just didn't do that in those days. But um, I was really excited and definitely I'm grateful to Katie for getting me going. And then After that, everything fell into place. Everybody I talked to, everywhere I turned, all the documents and pictures and things I found all made sense. And I'm sure it's Marguerite, you know, wanting her story told. I feel very connected to her. So um, it's very, very special. And Lucy, can I just ask, where are you located? You're not in Newfoundland and Labrador, right? Are you in Montreal? And Katie, can you explain a little bit about how you kind of started this research and, and you know, what how you found Marguerite? Yeah, so uh, I I found her by accident. Um, I was working for the Logie Bay Middle Cove Outer Cove Museum. And one of the things that I did in my downtime was just search the digital archives at Memorial University for anything that might be related to one of those three communities that I could use on the museum blog or work into a future exhibit or something like that. Um, and as I think all research goes, especially when you're looking at older newspapers, um, you put in the keywords, it gives you an article. And as you're looking for the article on the page, you see a headline that is way more interesting. <laughs> um, and so this one was something like 
body of missing teacher found after, uh, you know, six months or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. So I wanted to look into that. And so I had like the middle of the story. Um, so of course I had to go back and find out what actually happened. And so it, it turned out that she had gone for a walk, possibly for a swim and went missing in August of 1922. And then her body wasn't found until December, January of 1922, 1923. And so I had to go and find all the reports then because I was just so curious about like the search for her and what they suspected might have happened when they didn't find her. And then after they found her, what did they do? Um, And one of the things that I saw was that her body was being shipped to St. John's to be shipped back to Montreal for burial. And I thought, oh, well, that's really interesting. I'll just go find her on um, you know, uh, the graveyard websites to see, but I couldn't figure out what cemetery she was in to look for her. And so I just was Googling Marguerite Lindsay, Montreal and the dates. And I came across Lucy's blog where it said, um, it's a little, little bit of information about her. And I thought, okay, she would probably know. Um, and so I just asked, where is she buried? Um, and I wasn't expecting to make the connection that we made. I was just expecting to get a, you know, she was buried at the cemetery. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought it was really, it was really fun to build connections through this kind of research. And can you talk a little bit uh, about how or why it grabbed you so much? Because it's fascinating that, you know, it was kind of an aside, as you mentioned, and I know myself kind of going through old newspaper articles, even just the ads can be sometimes more interesting than the the small bit of like material or information that you were looking for. So what about kind of the, uh, the material kind of grabbed you? And I guess, you know, how come we're still talking about it like a few years later? Like how, why, why did it grab you so much? Uh, for me, it was, it was that she had been missing for so long and that they'd finally found her, but they didn't know what happened. Um, and so I was really interested to see like the whole process of, you know, what do you do when someone you know and love has gone missing? Like she was a, a well-respected teacher that had only been in Labrador for, I think something like two months. I think she arrived in June that year um, and had gone missing. And so because she was part of the Grenfell mission, um, there were the Among the Deep Sea Fishers publications that talked a little bit about her and her life before she went missing. And so I got to see a little window of her as a person. Um, and then it was the the search for like, you know, what happened? Where did she go? Um, and then I stayed through with it because I wanted to know, I wanted to know the end of her story. I wanted to know what happened and how her family resolved that, you know, not knowing what happened to her when when her body was found and things like that. So. And can you tell me, uh, I guess, Lucy, a little bit more about Marguerite? Like I know um, one of the articles or one of the the articles I think that you sent to Katie was all about um, her work as a, a, at the mothering bureau. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, yes. Um, it was kind of interesting, as Katie said, to get to know this, this lady who, who, was on all the papers so um, so many years ago, but um, so I went back to to uh, sort of uh, get to know her a bit from square one. So um, she was uh, well, she was one of six kids in the family, the youngest, uh, six years the junior of her sister, and her mother was forty two when she was born. So perhaps she was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> 
And um, she grew up in an upper, upper middle class family. And um, there were homes in Montreal and London. And I went back and forth. And when growing up, she went to uh, private girls' schools in the States. So um, they, they, they were well-to-do. Um, but at uh, age 22, so I guess that's after most of her schooling. I'm not really sure if, um, how far she went in her schooling. But she uh, volunteered um, with the Canadian Red Cross in London. Um, her parents, well, they already had a family home there. And her father was already co-founder of the Maple Leaf Club which was uh, for the Canadian officers to have a little um, retreat from, from all the action on the front, on the front line. So um, it was already established in the family that they, they gave and they volunteered and they were helpful to the community. And in the Canadian Red Cross, her mother and her sister-in-law were also with the Information Bureau. So uh, yeah, I sort of wrote it from an angle that she never really got to mother because she died so young, but she obviously had very good mothering skills. So that was part of uh, her as, um, well, it was nice to know that part of that side of her. And it, it came through again when, when she came home after she was no longer needed in the Canadian Red Cross. I guess not, not sure what to do, uh, already knowing about um, Grenfell and his mission work because he was already well known all over the world. Well, especially in the UK and Canada and the US. So Somehow she connected with that and said, I will volunteer as a summer volunteer at Cartwright. And off she went under the um, tutelage of Henry Gordon. Reverend Henry Gordon was sort of running the Cartwright arm of Grenfell's mission. So um, that was just who she was. It was neat to know that she, you know, had all, all kinds of things in life and she didn't really need to work or she could have just done her nails and got married and whatever, but she was someone who who was really, I think, a really modern woman in those days to to be so independent and go off to Cartwright at 25 on her own, take a train and catch a ship. And hello, here I am for the summer. I'm here to help. What can I do? <laughs> I love that about her. She's really neat. So do you know uh, what kind of volunteer work would have been done in Cartwright when she arrived? She was uh, for the summer for the teacher, a volunteer teacher. But I guess her, her experience as a nurse was most welcome, I'm sure. Um, but it was, a, it was a teacher position. But when she got there, there was one other volunteer for the summer, Annette Stiles. And the two of them, and Annette was sort of hired as the um, nutritionist and cook, which um, supposedly they laughed about hysterically because nobody had any cooking experience. They just had to make food happen. And between Annette and Marguerite hit it off right away. And they just... They just did whatever needed doing, whether it was teaching or feeding or outings or swimming classes or anything. They just did it together. They hit it off and they were just this amazing duo and all the children got to benefit. That sounds wonderful. And oh. it's, it's really nice to kind of get a, a broader picture of, uh, you know, who she was as a person. Um, I guess for either of you, can you talk a little bit about how you go about researching someone, maybe if you just kind of have dates or you just have a bit of information like what do you uh, you know is it is it pure luck do you have any certain tips or tricks for anybody who's like doing some genealogical research or anything like that I, I don't I don't do a ton of genealogical research um so I feel like Lucy would be better for that but for just general like archival research um there's lots of really great archives like here in Newfoundland we have the digital archives and they have so many um, digitized newspapers and publications and um, 
the thing that I find for um, like most helpful for me when I'm searching is that, you know, I had a name that I stumbled upon, um, but I always try different spellings of the name um, because people didn't always get it right <laughs> um, in the past. I mean, even today things get um, misheard or mistyped or something like that. Um, so I found several times that I was looking for information. Uh, if I typed in her actual name, it didn't come up. Um, but if I typed in a variation, I would find it then. So I feel like, you know, sometimes that information is out there, um, but you have to get creative in, in how you search for it. That's so true because her whole name is Helen Francis Marguerite Lindsay. So she obviously, she obviously went by Marguerite, but who would have known that? That was the third, third name. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's that, that's a, that's a good tip for sure. Um, once, once uh, Katie introduced me to those newspaper clippings, I got very interested and some of my research was just done by the fact she worked under Henry Gordon when she was um, in Cartwright with the Grenfell mission. So I Googled Henry Gordon and lo and behold, the school, local school there has been named after him. So off I, I write to an email to uh, the school secretary saying, hello, um, my relative worked under Henry Gordon uh, many years ago and her name is, and, and do you have any information? And she wrote back again, immediately. It was so exciting. It really is when it's like a treasure hunt. And uh, she wrote back immediately saying, oh, I'm going to put you in touch with um, um, some a lady who worked there. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to mention names or not. But anyway, lovely lady who has been working there for many, many years, who, who knew Marguerite's story inside out. And she said, I'll put you on to her. So um, we emailed a little bit. And then she said, can I just call you? So I had this most amazing phone call with this lady. And she was just telling me that... Um, she, first of all, she said, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm talking to a relative of Marguerite. And I said, oh, wow, I just felt so special. <laughs> and I said, I'm so excited to talk to somebody who knows her way better than I do. And, oh, she went on with stories. She said the children every year are taught her story about what happened to her. So it, she's kept alive um, in that school, and, and rightly so. And um, she said, um, um, oh, there's a plaque in the church that's uh, dedicated to her. And every year at Christmas, they light a candle and remember her and all this wonderful stuff. And then she said, wait a minute. She said, um, I have some, some music to play for you. So I wait and I listen on the phone and all of a sudden this lovely melody comes over with these haunting words. And it's Harry Martin's song that he wrote for Marguerite. And I'm just, I have to say I'm gobsmacked. I'm just over the moon and um, just that was that just sent me on the way with more more answers and more questions, um, which is what research does. But um, I was really really excited, and I just started writing um, her story. And as I said, we're sort of making short stories, so I was many parts to her story. And my my fellow writers were just thrilled with with the finding of this lovely story and bringing it back to share with people. And um, I'm sure you know it was just meant to be it really was and it's it's a hundred years this year is it the anniversary of her death so I really think um she has her hand in this <laughs> that's really lovely to hear though that you know her story was being kept alive in Cartwright itself and in the school and in the church I mean that's that's wonderful really nice yeah 
And can you talk a little bit, you mentioned that you have this genealogy writing group. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how that got started and what you guys, I know you said you each kind of take turns and you write a little bit. Can can you tell a little more about that group? Um, There's nine of us and we've been doing this for about eight years now. It's amazing. We're all still there and all getting along. Um, There are two, two of the writers are professional. And so we all critique each other's story. We get together once a month. And you're supposed to have a 500 word story on ready for on one of your ancestors. And um, we critique it and help each other make it more readable. So it's not so dry for people who didn't know the person. And, um, oh, we have a lot of fun. And as it, once a month we meet and, well, we've been Zooming for the last couple of years. But usually we go to each other's houses and have a little tea and a little cake and, and um, spend, uh, spend, whatever, three hours going over everybody's story and making them better and um, it's just been great and along the line along the way we published our stories in a book called beads in a necklace which is available as an ebook but um, we've written about it on our uh, blog which is genealogyensemble.com and um, it's just it's just it just works and uh, we gave a few presentations on how to get together as a group of people and start encouraging each other to write and Everybody wanted to join our group, and we said, no, no, <laughs> you can't have too many. Um, make, make your own group. But uh, we just, we're very, very blessed. We, we all connected, and we all get along. And actually, one of the other writers is, um, I think she's my third cousin, and she's also related to Marguerite. So she's over the moon, too. <laughs> I, I find that interesting. I don't think we have any groups like that in the province that I can think of. Uh, Katie, I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't think of anyone. I think that it would probably go over very well, though. I think that there's a, probably an interest uh, in doing something like that here. And I think, you know, maybe a local library or a, a group would probably, I think that that would go over very well here. It's very exciting. It's very exciting to to um, get to know these people. I don't know. Uh, I think most people, I'm, I was blessed to, to inherit all the dusty old boxes from the family. And I sort of put them aside thinking, oh, one day I'll have a look. And Finally, well, one day I had some time and started looking and uh, just like, like Katie went down a rabbit hole, like, who are these people? And I had, I had more information than some people do. I had letters and I had photos and I had um, some clippings, but instead of just birth and death notices, there was more. And then you go researching like Katie and try and what was happening in, in the world at that time. What was, what was their life like? And, and uh, try and flesh it out a little bit, make it just more than a name and a death date and a birth date. No, I think that's wonderful because I certainly um, have access to, I guess, some of my family history and a family tree on a few different sides. But for me at this point, like you said, it's mainly just a, a birth date and a death date and who they're related to. So mm-hmm. I should probably at some point as, as a good folklorist, I should probably uh, research them and, and get the stories that are actually associated with them as well. Um, interestingly enough, there is a story about, um, one of my relatives, um, dying on the Labrador, um, going out berry picking and apparently, and, and I think this is a story that is probably like a part of like Newfoundland Labrador folklore, but, um, the story is that somebody went out berry picking on, um, on the coast, I guess, I think they were fishing in Labrador. Um, they couldn't find them apparently they sunk in the bog at some point so they couldn't find them when they went then when they went to leave and then 
a few years later, they came back up through the bog is the story that as I've heard, but I've heard stories about kind of the bog in Labrador, uh, kind of um, people appearing again. So it's a seems like perhaps a common uh, theme in the province, at least. That's what happened to Marguerite. She, whatever, when she had her accident, she fell into the bog and they searched high and low for her. They were within, within whatever, like meters of her in, during the search. And she was in the bog and she, she died uh, very quickly because uh, there was a, her wristwatch showed what time she died because when she hit the bog, it stopped. So it was within, within minutes that she set out for this walk that the accident happened. And um, as Henry, as uh, Henry Gordon wrote in his diary, that the, it wasn't a path that we we envision a, a lovely path through the woods because that's what we get to have nowadays. It was a tiny little path with bog on both sides. You lose your balance, you're gone, and then you're 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 in the bog. And then, as Henry Gordon wrote in his diary, which is very handy to have, um, he just guessed at the time, oh, if. She probably, if, if something's happened to her, she's probably fallen in the bog and the frost will bring her up in the, in the winter. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So that bog is like, what other skeletons are in there? <laughs> wow. It's, can I ask a little bit about, do they know exactly what did happen to her? Because Katie, you talked at the beginning about kind of there being a, a search and a, and a few questions. So do they know exactly what did happen? Yeah, they, they, have speculations, I guess, and they'll probably never really know, but um, they do believe it was an accidental death that she slipped and she had been carrying um, a gun because she liked to shoot at game in the area. Um, and they speculate that she fell on her own gun and uh, it discharged. I have the coroner's report. Oh, wow. So, yep. So I have confirmation to that, which was um, very important to, I think, well, me especially, but even the, the people in Cartwright to know that, you know, nothing, nothing they did contributed to her death. And she was, she was a very well-rounded, happy, well-adjusted person. And there, you know, there was suicide just didn't make sense. And sure enough, in the coroner's report, the angle at which the bullet went into her had to have been from a fall because it, the angle was impossible to self-inflict. And, Ultimately, why would you carry extra bullets in your pocket if you were out to do yourself? <laughs> and she had bullets in her pocket because she was out looking for muskrat while she took her walks that she um, she loved to do daily, I think. So um, it was very much a horrible accident. But, you know, had, had, had she not fallen in the bog and just had her accident and was there to be found, um, you know, it would have been just another hunting accident. And there wouldn't have been that media frenzy with all these ridiculous stories and, and how upsetting for the Cartwright people to think that, you know, any of these ridiculous things could have possibly happened in their lovely little magical place. So um, it's too, it's really too bad all around. And I'm really quite upset with the media as we all are all the time. They just take a story and run with it and they don't care what they say. They just they want to sell papers. So they really, really had a heyday with this story. It sounds like, like you said, like a, a tragic accident and unfortunate uh, that it kind of got blew out of proportion. Um, you mentioned lovely Cartwright. Have you visited Labrador? Do you have plans to visit at some point, perhaps? I really, really wanted to for the 100th anniversary, but I don't know if it's going to look possible with uh, COVID. And um, I just, I don't know. So I'm, I'm, I was, I was hoping to do that. I was very excited at first. And 
I, I can't really say for now, but I have, can I show you a picture? I know it won't be in the podcast, but sure. I don't know if you've seen this picture. Well, that's, you know, that's Marguerite in the top there with all these lovely, with all these lovely uh, students. And I sent it, I sent it to them days just in case they hadn't seen this picture. And um, sure enough, uh, the grandson of one of them is working there. Is there anything else that you guys want to add about uh, Marguerite or your research or kind of the connections that you can make through an email about somebody in the past? Is there anything else that you want to add? I just, I really loved that we were able to to stay in touch and that it, it didn't go like stop at the, the blog post um, because it was really nice. Like I learned so much from the articles um, in the newspapers, but it was really nice to, to stay in touch and learn more about who she was before the newspapers picked up her story because they were obviously focused on just a very brief window of what happened around her death. Um, and so it was, it was really nice to hear stories of her um, when she was younger, um, stories of her family and um, to just to, to learn more about her as, as a person who had a, a full life. That's great. I'm glad I all send Katie everything. <laughs> Assuming she's interested, and I know she is, and it's, we do, we do have this special uh, connection, and and it's it's lovely. That's uh, Marguerite and her brother, who is my grandfather, and they're both holding their cats. That's my favorite picture. I think this is taken just before she goes to uh, in, to London to work in the Red Cross because she is wearing her Red Cross hat. But I love that picture. Yeah. Her brother is the one that came to Labrador to search for her, right? Uh, another brother, not my grandfather. It was another. She had three brothers and he came. Yes. And I, I really love because uh, the story of him coming to, to Cartwright and, um, and just thanking the people of Cartwright for everything they did, looking for her. And still, when he was there in September, the body still hadn't been found. And he was just there to, on behalf of the family, to um, just see, you know, where it all happened and to, you know, give, give them some closure, I suppose. But when he, when he was there, he just, he just thanked them and um, I really appreciated all they did for her. And I think they were quite um, overwhelmed that he was so kind and nice, but that, that's who they were. The guys, the, the whole family was like that. They were all very um, soft-spoken and, and loving and giving. And so um, it was really nice that, Stanley, her, her brother Stanley, could do that um, for, well, for the family. I'm sure he went back with stories of, you know, how much she was loved by the people and because they did. There's all kinds of stories about how, how they all loved her. Well, she was there. She was only there for like two months and, and she made such an impression. And, well, it's an awful story, but it was nice. And while he was there, um, I think he, he arranged for that plaque to be made in, in St. Peter's Anglican Church. And um, supposedly there was a memorial service. And in uh, Henry Gordon's diary, he says he's never seen so many people, like not only jammed in, but overflowing outside. Everybody was there for her. So really touching and very nice for her brother to see that and bring it, bring the story home to her mother and father. So, but nice, nice, soft-spoken, sweet people. I remember meeting Stanley and uh, anyway, he always gave my sister and me really nice Christmas presents. <laughs> He was, uh, he was uh, never married, never had kids of his own. And he just a uh, very, very generous, loving person. So I was just going to ask, you said she was one of six, and I guess that's one of her uh, siblings. Can you just mention a little bit about the other siblings as well? 
Sure. Okay. She had uh, three brothers. One was my grandfather, who was a priest, and Stanley, who was a stockbroker, who came to Cartwright. And her other brother was Lionel, who was a pediatrician. And they all, uh, they all had uh, nice long lives, um, unlike Marguerite. And she had two sisters. The eldest was uh, Catherine Ada, and she married um, in London and lived in uh, BC. She married an artist and um, uh, ended up living in, in British Columbia. And her other sister was Marjorie, um, who was six years older than her. And I don't know much about her. I think that's my next, uh, my next search. Um, she never married, uh, supposedly. Again, these family stories that never get expanded on. Um, supposedly, she had a true love and um, who lived in South Africa. And her family said, no, you, you cannot. Um, it's too far away. You know, we need you or it's too far. We won't let you. In those days, you did what your parents told you. So she and she never met anyone or married after that. So it's kind of sad. Her one true love was denied her. More story. Well, we'll have to keep an eye out for that story as well. I don't think I'll be as lucky connecting with uh, all these lovely, helpful people who have made uh, Marguerite's story happen. Awesome. Thank you both. Thank you. And Marguerite, thanks you. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening.